Hello, friends, and welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is Stephen Dimmitt. Allison Vest is my guest today. Allison is a three-time Canadian national bouldering champion. She grew up in the States and lived in Canada for most of her life and is now based in Salt Lake City, where she lives with her friend and training partner, Kyra Condi. And I really enjoyed my conversation with Allison. I am fascinated by competition climbing and have almost no experience with it personally. And I really wanted to dig into the motivation that fuels the fire of a competition climber. And Allison seemed like a perfect person to do that with. And she had really thoughtful answers and was just very real and easy to talk to. And we had some fun. So we talked about mindset and goals and confidence, about these hilarious Instagram challenges that she does and how she balances being a serious athlete with being playful and having fun in the gym. And we talked about some training stuff and advice for young competitors. And we talked about outdoor climbing too. Allison is no stranger to that. She was the first Canadian woman to climb V13. She has done relatively little outdoor climbing compared to the indoor and competition climbing that she's been doing her whole life. And she has had to work on top outs and climbing high off the deck and dealing with fear. And all of that was really interesting. So a lot of good nuggets in this one, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. If you have been enjoying the show and would like to support the Nugget Climbing Podcast, you can head over to the website at thenuggetclimbing.com and click on the support the podcast button at the top of the page. There you will find some options for one-time donations if you'd like to help out via Venmo or PayPal, and you can find a link to Patreon. There are some options over there to support the show on a monthly basis, and you'll get some bonus content. I have about 20 published follow-up episodes that are available only to patrons and more coming every other week. And there's a lot of good stuff in those conversations if you want even more of the podcast. And I encourage you to join the Facebook group if you haven't already. It's called the Nugget Climbing Community, and we'd love to see you over there. It's been really fun to meet a lot of you over there so far and hear about where you're from and how long you've been climbing and people are sharing some of their goals over there. And I think it's going to be a really cool thing. So you can check that out as well. And we'd love to see you again. That's thenuggetclimbing.com for the website. And the name of the Facebook group is the Nugget Climbing Community. And I put links to all the things right there in your podcast app. So you're just one click away. Thanks for tuning in for another episode, and please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Allison Vest. I'm actually I'm in our uh, our climbing closet. So oh, nice. The sound is nice and, and flat in your climbing closet. It's not echoey. Yeah. yeah. Is it really? I also, I call it our podcast closet also as a, <laughs> as a double name. <laughs> nice. <laughs> this is my, my podcast van and my house van. So. Perfect. Same, same. Same, uh, same vibe. Yeah. <laughs> Can you give me a quick little tour or just description of your climbing closet? I'm actually quite intrigued by this. 
Well, it literally is a closet. How do you fit a climbing wall in there? You just hit the door if you fall. Like you hit the door frame usually. If oh, you fall at the top. But interesting. So the, it's like an A-frame shape already. Yeah. yeah, it's mostly. I mean, now that the gyms are open, we climb there. We don't climb in here all that often. Um, but uh, it's more just yeah. It's the roof is right here, so it's just along the actual angle of the roof. It's like fifty degrees or something. Nice. Yeah. Well, COVID, so, COVID closet, COVID training. Yeah. I, by the time I moved here, Kyra built this one during like the big lockdown. And then by the time I moved here, everything was opening up again. So we haven't really used this actually all that much okay. to climb on together, but yeah. just, just for <laughs> podcasting. Exactly. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this, I think this timing is really interesting, actually. I was thinking about that coming into this conversation. So Allison and I, for people listening in the future, we're talking on May 31st, 2021, which is a Monday. And we're just on the other side of this big weekend, this Salt Lake City World Cup competition. And there were two of them back to back. So you've been very busy with with that over the last couple of weekends. And I knew I was going to be talking to you. So as we came into this weekend and I was seeing, you know, Instagram things and news blurbs about the competition, I was curious about that. You know, like competition climbing for me is probably the facet of climbing that I have the least exposure to and am the least tuned into. And I was I was just wondering, like, man, that's got to be that's got to be so interesting. Like, we're going to talk the day after this thing ends. And I have to imagine that you know, your, how the competition goes for you, it's got to have an interesting effect or, um, yeah, like an interesting effect on your headspace coming into a conversation like this, you know, like what would it, what is it going to be like? What is the vibe going to be like if she wins or what is, what will it be like? How will it be different if she has a competition that she's proud of, but doesn't necessarily win versus if it doesn't go well? Um, I just think that's really interesting. And I'd, I'd love to hear if you wouldn't mind how'd the competition go for you? And I'd love to hear kind of where you sit in the aftermath. Like how was your headspace today and, and what happens the Monday after a competition? Yeah. Um, I think that's an interesting question. Uh, for me, the first competition, like, so it was back-to-back weekends, like you said. So the first weekend, separate competitions too. So it wasn't like it was a continuation of the first weekend. It's sort of the first weekend wrapped up and then there was a completely second, separate second event. Um, so the first weekend for me was my first competition in over a year and a half. Mm. Um, just cause for, I mean, if people don't know, I'm, I compete for team Canada, so I haven't been really involved in any of the, even though I live down here in Salt Lake city, I haven't been involved in any of the competitions that the U S team has been doing. Um, so for me, it was like my first return to the competition stage after so much time off. Um, so that one didn't go as well as I had hoped. Um, but it was sort of easy for me to use that. It was the first competition back as kind of an excuse for not doing as well as I had hoped. Um, so then I was sort of just ready to have a second go at it the second weekend. And plus, um, Natalia Grossman ended up winning that first event and Brooke Rabatou was, um, with her on the podium in third. So that also was really exciting. I have the pleasure of training with both of those girls, um, relatively frequently. So that, um, you know, everybody was crying and hugging them and it was like a really big deal for them to be on the podium together. And I don't think 
any two U.S. women had been on a podium together since Brooke's mom was on the podium with Lynn Hill. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's incredible. I mean, it was really incredible to be there and for it to be like a crowd again and for there to be that whole vibe after so long of not having that and any competitions that have happened, haven't had a crowd. So for, for all that to sort of come together and that to be the outcome, um, you know, even though it wasn't a great event for me, that focusing on that and, and getting to be there to experience that was really great. Um, and then on the flip side, the second weekend was sort of the opposite, you know, some competitions, the disappointment hits a little harder than other ones. And the second weekend, I actually, my sort of weird, but my rank was exactly the same the second weekend and my score was exactly the same. So I had two tops, four zones in the same amount of attempts on both weekends, which is just <laughs> the weirdest, like, Whoa. I don't know. I've never, that's never happened before. Like it was super weird. The exact same position. I came in 29th both weekends. Um, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> super weird. Yeah. Um, the second weekend. So, which was, you know, two days ago. <laughs> Um, has been a little bit of a hard pill to swallow. You know, I was close on boulders that I needed to top, basically falling, you know, off the last hold, mm. which is just the way it goes. Yeah, I don't know. And I think for me, like partially something that is helpful for me when I'm like disappointed is to sort of lean into the randomness of competitions. Mm. You know, like there was a a girl from Austria who was in finals on the first weekend and then was in you know, 35th or 36th or 37th or something the second weekend. So with the exception of some of the great athletes right now that are always in finals, always on the podium, sort of the rest of the field, everybody's pretty good. So if you get a set of boulders, that's your style, then you're going to do well. And if it's not, or if you get unlucky, then you're not. So I think something for me to try to be like a coping mechanism is sort of to remind myself that there is a degree of randomness within competition climbing that makes it that it can't be everybody's weekend every time. But I mean, again, you know, Natalia won again <laughs> the second weekend Yeah, amazing. Um, by flashing all four boulders. So she didn't fall in finals and beat Yanya Garnbrit, who has won every boulder in competition previous to these two for since 2018. Um, and Yanya wasn't there the first weekend she showed up for the second weekend. So it was sort of expected that she would win again and Natalia ended up beating her. So again, even though it wasn't my weekend, it was a really exciting weekend for, for my friends and, and the people that I'm lucky enough to have as training partners. And, um, Sean Bailey also from the U S won his first ever world cup this weekend too. So for it to be two U S athletes winning in front of a U.S. crowd, a crowd we haven't had in years, um, there was definitely a lot of exciting things happening, even if it wasn't, all out of an exciting weekend for me personally, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I think there always is things that I feel grateful to be a part of at competitions, even if it's not for my own climbing. Mm. And thank you for sharing all that. Yeah. I have to imagine there's a mix of inspiration and probably feeling hard on yourself and having maybe clarity about what you need to work on. And I, I imagine it's this messy mix of, of all that stuff that you're processing at this point. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, there's always, you know, there's always a variety of emotions, whether it's, you know, down to things like jealousy, like I wish I was in the final instead or mm. whatever those emotions are. I think for me, it's important to 
at least immediately after the competition to be focusing on or trying to focus on the the positive ones, you know, being proud of my, I wouldn't say they're teammates. I'm not on the U S team, but I, I do get to train with these girls. So they feel like teammates. So focusing on being proud of them and excited for them. And, um, yeah, I mean, they're so, they, the two of those girls, Brooke and Natalia are just such good climbers and, I know it's a little bit validating actually to see them do that well because you're training with them all the time and uh, <laughs> you know for them to be like as good as they are and for that to be equated to be on the podium for a world cup like it's it's sort of validating to be like okay so i'm not keeping up with natalia in the gym but it's okay because she's winning world Cup. she's so, the like, best in the world the right level. now <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so that's interesting that is also nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i would i'd love to kind of dig into and maybe tease out, you know, the competition um, motivation or at least your specific motivation, because this is something I'm fascinated by, you know, as someone who primarily has outdoor projects and has outdoor goals, I have so much respect for competition climbers because if I don't send my project, I can go back next weekend. If I don't send this season, I can go back next season. You know, every once in a while, a hold will break and you you can't go back to a climb forever, but that's so rare. And for the most part, I never feel like I've missed a chance or failed on a climb. I can always improve. I can always go back and I can always like learn and try to target better conditions and whatever else. But that's so, it couldn't be more different from a competition where you have one day or one weekend to, you know, capitalize on months and months or even years of, of preparation. I have to imagine that you must love the process, but I, what, can you help me understand, like, what, what is the motivation that keeps you in this grind? I mean, you're training constantly. Your entire lifestyle seems to be focused around these competitions and I'd love to hear if, you know, you have this bigger goal of uh, the 2024 Olympics and how how inspiring or how motivating that is versus just, you know, the process of being a competitor and trying to draw the best out of yourself. Can you help me understand, like, where your motivation for competitions comes from? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think I've always been a competitive person. I was always drawn to to competitions in other sports or in other areas of life, like as a kid. So I think that is sort of partially just who I am. I'm just competitive, whether it's like board game night or whatever, you know, I get sad when I lose and happy when I win. And that's <laughs> sort of just always been my attitude around sport and around life. So I think in a way, just competition climbing is a good way to channel that. Um, I think for me, it's interesting when I climb outside I think it's been a struggle for me to learn that climbing outside is, is sort of me competing with myself or competing with just the boulder and not trying to extricate meanings of like, what does this mean if I can't do this boulder and how does that relate to other people? Mm. Um, so I think it's sort of been a flip side for me to, to, to be able to treat outdoor climbing as being sort of singular with myself. Um, because I think my instinct is to be, competitive and for that to relate to other people. So, yeah, so I think competition climbing has been a way for me to channel that. And it is, it's, I mean, it's really hard. Like you have back-to-back weekends, like we just had where I was not that happy about how I did. And a lot of the conversations end up being like, geez, why do we do this sport is heinous. Like this Hmm. is 
not that fun. I don't like it that much. I'm like really sad. <laughs> like it's like, it is brutal. Like it sucks. And it's not that fun when you don't do well. But I guess the flip side of that is that you do sort of over your career have these moments of winning and feeling like you did do well and you did do your best. And it is so euphoric and I think worth searching for again, which I mean, it's sort of perpetual. Like, I don't know if there's like a cap to that where you feel like, yeah, you know what? I've, you know, I've won the most amount that I ever will. And I'm done now. Like, I don't think there is a, at least I don't see myself reaching a, a peak like that. Like, I don't know, maybe for, like I said, somebody like Yanya who won every competition for a whole year, like maybe that's enough. Maybe she was happy to not win last weekend. And you know, <laughs> I don't know, but for me, I think the lows of competition really, really suck. But that feeling of accomplishing what you set out to accomplish and feeling like you achieved a goal is so incredible that I think that is that like is sort of the pilot light mm. in the background of what keeps you able to keep training and keep pushing and have these like super demoralizing, dark, sad moments, but to be able to turn that into motivation and remember what you're sort of searching for and what feeling you're trying to, to sort of come back to, mm. at least for me. <laughs> Do you have a singular goal? Do you have something that you write in lipstick on your mirror in your bathroom and look at every day? Or do you have like a guiding light that feels like the ultimate thing that you're working towards? Or is it just, um, you know, take each competition as it comes? How do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's good or not. I think I maybe could do better at, at having more concrete goals. Um, my roommate, actually, Kyra Condi, inspires me a lot in that realm like she decides she wants to do something and then she does it like going to the olympics for example she's going to the olympics in tokyo and she just decided i want to go to the olympics it's something i really want to do and she made it happen um i think for me i struggle with that element of confidence i think even when you're asking about you know the olympics in 2024 i think in the back of my head like i don't know if i'm good enough to be able to do that so i don't want to set it as a goal because i don't want to fail like I was saying, I think I take those moments of sadness extra hard. Um, so yeah, like, I mean, I think if I get to a place where I'm happy with how I'm climbing and I can really commit to pushing through those lower moments of competition, then I would be really excited to train and, and try to qualify for, for 2024. But I think I think mentally I have a lot of work to do to be able to get to that point and to be able to set a goal that big. But I mean, I guess you could say it's a goal of mine to set a goal that <laughs> is that big. <laughs> so, nice. Um, right now, I don't, I don't necessarily think my brain operates that way, having like a huge overarching goal like that. Um, but I think it's something that I should be working on and should be moving towards for sure. Maybe. I mean, it It seems like everyone, it seems like there's a great deal of individ, individuality when it comes to that. You know, some people, they have this crazy audacious thing and every morning they wake up and they're like, today I have to do one thing that gets me closer to this massive goal that's five years away. And they can, you know, just cling on to that for years. And for other people, that's way too much pressure and it, backfires, you know, or it's counterproductive to be so singularly focused on something. And it 
it's it's interesting to hear you say all that because I've recently, and I've talked about this on the show, I've I've been thinking a lot about like what I ultimately want to accomplish in my own climbing. And I have a little more clarity than I've had in the past about what I want to focus on, what I'm less interested in committing time to. It's been really nice to have that clarity and feel more focused than I've been in a while. But at the same time, I think I'm learning about myself that I have to have some degree of go with the flow, you know, take each season as it comes and listen, learn to listen to my own motivation a little bit better too, because I've tried to force motivation in the past and it never works for very long. It might work, it might get you through a month of hard training or a season of hard training or something. But um, for me anyway, if I'm not staying true to what I actually want to do, something bad happens. I, I either kind of feel burned out or um, get stagnant and, and stop progressing or plateau or whatever else. So um, yeah, I wonder about that. I wonder if that is the goal for you or, you know, maybe you and Kyra are different in that way and, and that's okay. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. I think in addition to being competitive, I've always been really stubborn and hard on myself, <laughs> which I think in a lot of ways has helped me still be doing this competition thing at, you know, 25. I've been competing since I was nine, which is a long time to be just every year going through those ups and downs of competition. Like it is really, it's hard. It's a hard thing to be doing for so long. Um, and I mean, I do think part of the thing that sort of held me in it is that even in my youth career, I had a lot of moments of being close to being the best, but not quite, you know, I would be on the mm. in third on the podium or just off the podium, or I'd come in second, or I'd make the national team one year and then I wouldn't make it the next year. So because I, I was always good, but I was never great or never the best. That was always something that I wanted. So it sort of kept fueling that drive to be better. And I think, I think for me, having a big goal, like saying, I want to qualify for the Olympics in 2024. It's, it's hard for, for me because I'm so hard on myself and because I'm so stubborn to not spiral when I'm like in the middle of a competition, you know, like I'll be on a single boulder. I definitely have gotten a lot better at this, but for a while, like I would be on one boulder and I would fall one time and I would spiral into like, I didn't do this boulder. I'm not going to win this competition. I'm not going to make the national team. I'm not going to get to go to world cups. I'm not going to be go to the Olympics. And then I'm going to hate myself for the rest of my life for not doing it like that. Like Damn. in one single moment, I spiral that hard. So I think for me, not setting a goal like that has been kind of a coping mechanism of sorts Yeah. of kind of like, I won't spiral that deep if I'm in a competition and I can't do one boulder, it'll just be like, okay, I'm not going to do that well at this single event. Like, and that's, as far as that goes. Um, but I, I mean, I do think to an extent, I guess this competition has been slightly eye opening in that <laughs> respect, um, these past two weekends. But I mean, I do think that might potentially be something that's, that's holding me back is me not thinking I have the ability to go that far and to do those things because I just am not willing to, to let myself fail, mm. I guess, you know, Cause it's, I mean, it's not a good feeling, but, but yeah, I definitely think being more towards that side of, of, like I said, Kyra's goal setting, I think would be a good thing for me to push for in the future in order to be more confident in, in myself and in my climbing. So, yeah. 
What is the dynamic like with you and Kyra at the house? Like, are you guys, you know, day after a weekend competition, are you guys talking to each other? Are you debriefing and processing out loud and talking about this stuff or? Um, yeah, for sure. Back I mean, in the it, training it, gym. Yeah, no, for sure. We we talk about the competitions in excruciating detail usually for, <laughs> <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. Um, can you, can you, uh, that's really interesting. Can you give me an example? Like, what are some of the things that you analyze or, uh, really dig into in detail um Specific i mean a lot of times we or? go yeah oh totally we go you know through every boulder and why you know uh, my right shoulder hurts oh your right shoulder hurts in the same spot what boulder was that from oh it's probably from this one like it down to what's sore and what's not sore and um a lot of times we talk about you know kyra struggles with her spinal fusion she doesn't really have a lot of mobility in her back so she a lot of times talks about what moves were harder for her in that respect and um, like I said, my mental state is usually a big block for me. So I tend to talk about that a lot. And then we just, I mean, we talk about the, we usually talk about the root setting a lot in just a greater sense beyond the boulders that we did, you know, if they separated the boys well, or if the boulders were too hard or they're too easy or what they could have, what could have been done to make it better. Or, um, but yeah, we usually, I mean, we talk about usually every boulder in some capacity, <laughs> whether we <laughs> climbed them or not, <laughs> but, uh, it's cool. It's nice to have, to have that actually, to be able to talk to somebody who was there and who climbed on the boulders. And, um, I mean, we, it's, it's interesting. We definitely are very different. Um, and we, I think respond to competitions differently, mm. uh, which we did not know until we lived together. <laughs> mm. Um, we ended up actually taking personality tests at some point. <laughs> I don't remember why exactly, but we did. And, uh, we actually are almost the exact opposite oh, personality Oh, funny. Type. That's so yeah. interesting. Yeah. So. Is, is that like a opposites attract or our complementary thing? Or is, is that a point of uh, friction at all? Or I think, it, I think it can be a point of friction in the sense that I don't know that we necessarily understand each other mm. all the time or where the other person is coming from. It's not necessarily friction in the sense of like we're yelling at each other or we're not getting along because we, we do, we get along. I would say all the time, mm -hmm. but it is sort of a situation of sometimes it's just like, I don't, I mean, I don't under, I don't understand how her brain works and she doesn't understand how mine does. So I think that <laughs> sort of, it maybe is friction in that sense, but, yeah. um, but yeah, no, it definitely is interesting. I think we both, we definitely both push each other in good ways, I think for the most part. Yeah. That's, it sounds like a really positive thing. I actually just listened to the conversation that you had with Tom Randall, the two of you together with Tom Randall and talking about mm -hmm. your, your dynamic. And, uh, it's, I think it's cool. It's really interesting and cool that you're teammates in a way, but you are on different teams and you, you don't mm -hmm. have, you have at least one layer of disconnect. And in, in, as far as, you know, being real competitors against each other, that must be, seems like that would be a positive thing, create a little bit of space. Um, totally. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I think, we've sort of, we've, we've talked about it, the two of Kyra and I a little bit, like I do think we'd still be friends if we were both competing for the U S and trying to be on the same team. Um, I do think ironically, I think the moments after competitions like now or after team trial events or whatever, I think those might be harder mm. just because like I said, competitions are random and boulders suit one person better than the other always. So I think those moments immediately after a competition might be a little bit more difficult because we were on the same team. 
So I think maybe we could talk less freely about competitions immediately after. If you were on the same team. If we were on the same team. Got you. But uh, but I think, I mean, I think at the end of the day, we would still we would still be friends probably. We probably would have been friends earlier even. So <laughs> maybe that would have been good. <laughs> Uh, how did you guys connect and how did you end up in Salt Lake? Because uh, uh, you, you mentioned this, you compete for Team Canada and you were living in uh, Vancouver before this. And it, it sounds like your coaches are still there, but you grew up in Minnesota. Um, first off, did I get all that right? And then, and then how did you end up in yeah. Salt Lake and connect with Kyra? Yeah, I did. So Kyra and I were actually both born in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, oh, we funny. did not know. We, I know. We did not know each other then. Um my dad got sort of his dream job working in the Canadian Rockies right in Canmore, Alberta. So we moved to Canada from St. Paul when I was seven or so. To Canmore? And then we, to Canmore. Man, I've still never been, but that is one of the places I want to go more than anywhere else. It looks so beautiful. It looks incredible. Yeah. I just, I feel totally spoiled growing up was there. It, was it that great? <laughs> was it amazing? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great in the sense that it is beautiful and the access to outdoor spaces and the community around sports and, um, that kind of excellence is really great. Um, you know, you go, especially for winter sports, like cross country skiing, you'll go to the Nordic center and be skiing and be passed by Olympians every single day. I babysat for like two different Olympians when I was growing up there. So just sort of being surrounded by excellence in sport, both outdoor, like climbing, downhill skiing, mountaineering type sport and Olympic sport is, uh, was pretty amazing and inspiring to grow up in. And mm. then it's just a beautiful area. Um, there was, there's not a lot of diversity in terms of arts and culture and, and that kind of thing. It is a little bit of a, a bubble, mm. which, um, I think I've been glad to experience since I, left Canmore but in terms of just that sort of mountain beauty nature all that kind of stuff I don't think it's pretty unparalleled to anywhere else that I've ever <laughs> lived so wow cool um but yeah we moved there and then we became my family became sort of naturalized Canadian citizens so just went through the process of applying becoming permanent residents and then becoming Canadian um I think I was 16 or 17 actually when we got Canadian citizenship and then I competed for Canada since then. And then I, I, I just met Kyra somewhere along the way after, after that, I think we competed at youth Pan American championships when I was 16 and then a couple other competitions. And then we were at the world championships in Paris in 2016. And I just, for some reason ended up hanging out with Kyra and her parents for the day. I don't remember. I think maybe they just, I was by myself and they took me, I don't know. I don't Somehow it was just me and Kyra's parents running around Paris. And we sort of had a lot of moments of like, Oh, you grew up in St. Paul. That's where I grew up. Oh, you, you know, that's your favorite movie. That's my favorite movie. So I think <laughs> for a long time, we actually thought we were really similar because we like a lot of the same things in terms of hobbies and activities. And we have a lot of parallels in our lives and it wasn't actually until we moved in together that we realized that we're actually almost the exact opposite. Um, <laughs> but uh, cool. then I was planning on moving here in April of 2020 um, when the pandemic sort of shut everything down. But mm. then I did end up being able to move here a bit later in July to be able to train with Kyra for the Olympics and uh, 
and train for the World Cups that are upcoming, which I think now being able to look at that decision in retrospect, it was sort of a hard one. It was sort of a weird time to move to the U.S. I think it was a really good decision just based on the community that I've been able to be around here and the training that I've been able to do. And um, yeah, I think I that was a really great decision for both my friendship with Kyra and for my training and hopefully for her training too. I mean, that was sort of the point of being here as well um, as she prepares for the Olympics to be able to have somebody around as well. Oh, that's cool. What, what is it about Salt Lake? I mean, I think of Salt Lake at this point as like the epicenter of competition climbing in the States. Is it, is it just the facilities are that much better? Was it specific coaches or just having that many strong climbers in one place and feeding off of each other? Is it access to the, the right kind of weird competition boulders? What, what was it about Salt Lake that made you decide to, to move there? I mean, I think it's, I think it's, that's a, there's a multifaceted answer to that. Um, I think one is that USA climbing just decided that it was going to be the epicenter. Like they built mm. the USA climbing training center. It's where the USA climbing headquarters are. Um, so I think just in a logical sense, they just said, this is where if you want to train on our national team and you want to be at our training center. This is where it's going to be. Mm. So, um, Brooke or sorry, Nathaniel Coleman and Kyra both live here. So they both train at the same training center. And then Brooke and Colin Duffy both live in Boulder, but they come here occasionally to train and to be with Josh Larson, who's the head coach of the national team. So I think in that sense, the USA Climbing National Training Center is here. So if you want to be on the U.S. national team or at least even just train with the U.S. national team members, um, you come here. So I think there's a continuous sort of revolving door of the best competition athletes in the u.s who are coming in and out of salt lake just to be able to be in that training center whether they live here or not gotcha um so i think that's one and to be on the training center i mean yeah there's amazing gyms here um that are just first of all massive um and just have a lot of different training facilities for competition climbing and for non-competition climbing too um, the bouldering project is also opening a gym here actually right behind where the competition ball was last weekend. They put their big <laughs> logo on the side of the building. So people were, aware that, <laughs> nice. that was going up. Um, Good marketing. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, and then there's, I think just a really big demand for it. So I think it's, it's cool that there is able to be so many gyms in the area. And if you get bored with one and you know, the settings not turning over quickly enough, you can go to another one. Um, and I do, I mean, I do also really think the access to outdoor climbing so close also just fuels all of it. Mm. There's every type of climbing and every type of motivation and, um, all ages, you know, all backgrounds, people who started climbing really young, people who started climbing really late. So I think there's just constantly people being sucked into the sport and people who've been in the sport for a long time. And, um, so I think it's really dynamic in terms of the community here. So I think it's just really easy to find inspiration for a lot of different facets of climbing because there is so many. So I think it's sort of just the culture around climbing and the community around climbing really feels itself well here for sure. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. 
just one quick piece of context for listeners. So you mentioned Kyra and Nathaniel and Brooke and Colin. And for people listening, those are the four American Olympic qualifiers who are going to be competing in this Olympics, which was the 2020, now 2021 Olympics that are coming up. I want to shift gears a little bit. This is still related, but it, I, I want to get into playfulness and how you've integrated that into your approach in, in your training and how you've used that to kind of offset this determination and s- stubbornness, as you described earlier. I, that's so interesting to me. So I've been following you on Instagram for quite a while, and I get such a kick out of these things that you post. And uh, it's it's always interesting to get to know someone, you know, in air quotes, that way through what they post and... and um, the videos and whatever else, and then talk to them after the fact, you know, like you create this idea of who they are, this version of them in, in your brain through social media, and then you talk to them and inevitably they surprise you, right? So following you for a while, I'm like, man, she's just playful and goofy and just like having fun in the gym all the time, constantly. Like that's, that's so amazing. And then talking to you, we talked a few weeks ago before doing this and I saw this other side of you. I'm like, oh, she is incredibly focused. She's super driven and she can be really hard on herself. Of course she is. Like that makes perfect sense. And that's likely why you're as good as you are. Like that piece of it needs to be there. But I would love to hear about (laughs) specifically these challenge videos and why those are important to you. And I thought we could maybe start with uh, Fail Friday. Could you tell me about Fail Friday (laughs) and what that is? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, like you said, I definitely present on the internet as always having fun and always being, doing something goofy in the gym, which to be fair, a lot of the times is true, Yeah. but not all the time. I definitely, there's a reason I do that. And it's because the flip side of that is just, like I said earlier, sinking deeper and deeper into a a hole of being really hard on myself. Mm. Um, so I guess it's a coping mechanism in some way <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, I, I think, so I was still living in Canmore at some point and we started doing these, like what my friend Eric called fail Friday compilations, which were just videos of us falling off bowlers. And that was it. That was what fail Friday was. It was just, a bunch of clips smushed together of us falling in funny ways. That was like the whole thing. And then somehow that translated into somebody asked if we would try all these acro yoga things. And so we, we did another fail Friday video of us trying to do acro yoga poses and it not working very well. Um, and then I think it was like a couple of years after that, that I started doing them by myself because the the boys there was two of my friend eric and my friend andrew that i was always doing those videos with and i don't know they started being more serious in life or i didn't see them very often or whatever and they just weren't that psyched to be trying these challenges anymore but people were still sending them to me <laughs> and i was like all right screw it i'll do it by myself so then i started trying these things that were just way too hard for me to even fathom to be able to do and then filming myself trying them and putting them on the internet and people really liked them and people started sending me more things. So it sort of just caught on. Um, and what was really funny sort of along the way, both when I was doing acro yoga things with 
my friend Andrew and when I started doing things by myself is I actually got better at whatever we were trying to do. So people would send me challenges and I would go, yeah, I could do that. And then I would just succeed and be like, Oh, that wasn't funny. So then I'd have to like try something even harder and more ridiculous and more stupid. So now it's just gotten to the point where like the challenges that I'm trying are just like, you know, it's people doing backflips off of concrete dividing walls or like these things that I just can't, like, I can't do a backflip, but at the start, they were not that hard, but somehow along the way, I actually improved um, (laughs) unintentionally. So now people will send me challenges and I'm like, yeah, actually I did that one. I, I can do that. That was a, you know, I don't, I, so it's gotten to the point where I can do these things and I don't post all of the successes because it's just, I just do it. And I'm like, all right, well, that wasn't funny. Next one. So, um, I do think that does translate to my climbing training though. I think going back to, I said, Kyra and I were, are pretty different. Mm-hmm. I, if, if there's a boulder that's like, let's say it's a coordination move. So it's like a big dyno. I have been known to sit in front of that boulder and try it for two hours straight, the same move over and over and over and over and over and over until I do it. And then I'll do it at the end of two hours and I will have no skin and I will be bleeding. And it, it, but then I did the boulder and then I can go home. And like, that's how my brain works for Kyra. She'll try it five times. She'll either do it or she won't do it. And she'll move on. Like that's, she hmm. puts that boulder behind. Maybe she'll go back the next day. doesn't matter, but she's like, I can either do it or I can't do it. And I'm not going to waste skin. I'm not going to waste time. I can do other things and she'll move on. So I think that, I mean, that's a good example of our different personality types, but I really like to be challenged and I, I like to do things that are really hard for me. And I am really determined in that way, sometimes to a fault, obviously. Um, but I think those challenge videos have been a fun way to, to sort of engage with that, that part of myself to sort of acknowledge that it's okay that I can't do everything. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm, it's really interesting. I want to come back to the two hours trying the boulder thing in in a second, but I, I do want to share some examples for people because Allison, they're hilarious. Like they make my day so often and they're like nail biting. So the way for people listening, the way that she posts them often is someone sends you a challenge and it's like someone on the internet doing a stupid human trick or something that's genuinely athletically really impressive, often risky. And so Allison will post that video of the person doing the successful thing. And then the next video you know, immediately following is her either by herself or with a friend trying to do the thing, doing their version of it. And it's just like, I'm like sitting there biting my nails, watching you go into some of these things. Like you're about to, you know, pull a a sweatshirt halfway off over the top of your head and turn it into a front flip and then just eat shit on the ground. And I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) There's, there's like a real neck breaking risk involved here. But I want to describe one of my favorites and then I want you to describe one that I have a note here about. But um, I think the most <laughs> amazing one that I can remember that I've seen is just a clip of you trying this dyno over and over again. And it was in the gym, you know, it was in the climbing gym, big jugs, and you're flying sideways, doing a pretty big sideways dyno to another jug. And your friend, I don't know if this was Canmore, if it was that guy you're talking about, but your friend was throwing a backpack into the air and you were just jumping off the wall, flying squirrel style with both your arms straight up in the air like Superman, trying to thread the backpack and then stick the dyno. 
and you eventually did, which is amazing. But the better part is that there's like, I don't know, a dozen or half a dozen just epic fails where you kind of got an arm through it and then just smacked into the jug and fell on the floor. And I was just like, dude, that is so, like, that's got to be actually risky. Like you could totally mess yourself up doing that, but it's just hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think to be honest, those are my favorite ones to do as well are like, because people send me videos of a lot of the challenges and it's, not climbing related. Like it's not people doing climbing challenges. Like they are doing a standing backflip off of a, you know, off of a balcony and landing on the ground and rolling out of it. And I'm like, I will break my legs. Like that's mm. the kind of things that people are sending to me. I, <laughs> how many of these do you get? Like how often are people sending these to you? I probably get between five and 10 a week. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them, interestingly, it's interesting because some challenges catch on as trends Oh, funny. So people, I'll, I'll get like three of the same one a week. Oh. That's just like something has caught on to somebody's explore page on Instagram. So it's like, huh. it's just the same video that three different people send me. But part of me thinks people, somebody actually wants to see me actually hurt myself. Like that <laughs> sometimes people send me things and I'm like, it's, there's no way to do this in a funny way where I will not actually break multiple bones. Like I... <laughs> Some of them are so extreme that I, I just, I think people have a bit of a death wish for me, but I, my favorite ones are climbing challenges that I make up myself for sure. Like the mm. backpack one, cause it, I can succeed in doing them. Usually those are the ones I make up myself. Um, I've been doing those more and more recently, just being like, Oh, I wonder if I could do this dino and catch a backpack in midair. Or like there was another one that I did similar dino where I, did a big dyno and then I jumped off the finish hold and then landed in shorts. Like my friend was holding a pair of shorts open and I landed inside of them. Um, that was another one. Uh, those tend to be long. Like that is another, I tried to catch that backpack for probably an hour. Did it. <laughs> um, a big time commitment. Have you ever, um, I mean, did that like blow your training session? Like, I mean, I have to imagine you're, you're a very focused driven athlete too. So like, how does that fit into the play? How does that fit in? Have you ever tweaked a shoulder and totally, you know, backfired with this whole thing? I've definitely been sore. <laughs> I, I, I don't think knock on wood that I've ever <laughs> had an injury for like something that's prevented me from training, from doing Mm. a dumb challenge but I've, I've definitely been sore for sure from various things but uh yeah i mean it is a lot of times that that's just how it's inspired is like we're sitting at the gym and i'm like man i wonder i wonder if i could do this dyno and catch something in between and then i'll like catch it with my feet and be like wonder what if it was a backpack and i caught it with my arms <laughs> and then you know luckily i have friends that are just as gung-ho as I am and are willing to throw a backpack at my face for an hour before I catch it. And then it makes for good uh, internet content. <laughs> <laughs> you have a fallback career as a YouTuber at this point. Exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> mm -hmm. Okay. I have one more I want to share. The, the one dynoing into the pair of shorts was actually the one I had a note for. So that's perfect that you shared that. Uh, I'm going to describe one more and I don't know if this will land, uh, but I, th I thought it was hilarious and uh, I'm going to try my best. So the challenge video that you were sent, there's these two, I don't know, like seven-year-old girls, little Russian gymnasts or something. And they're standing facing each other 
on either side of a bench. Their hands are on the bench. And just imagine people listening to this. If you're standing on your left leg, just on one leg, imagine lifting your right leg straight up behind you all the way up vertical. So they're standing in a front splits effectively facing each other, both of their legs. They have one leg up in the air, like a mast of a sailboat or something. And then there was like a, you know, an elastic uh, exercise band wrapped around the ankle of each person connected to each other. And they were kind of like swaying their legs back and forth, pulling each other's leg into like a beyond, like more than a split, you know, past vertical. And then the video, <laughs> can you describe that, that one? With, did you do it with Chloe? Yeah, so that was my friend Chloe Costco, who she and I are very similar, break once. She and I will both sit in front of a boulder for two hours and be bleeding before, <laughs> and then finally do it. We are very similar. So she she actually, more than Kyra, is the one I default to. I've done a lot of the challenge videos with Chloe because mm. she will also sit there with me for two hours and do something dumb. The crux of that video with Chloe is that neither of us can do the standing splits. So our leg actually doesn't get all the way up into the air. So that is part of the problem. <laughs> I think in order to be doing that video, you have to be able to do the splits, but we can't. So we tried and uh, it did not work at all. And neither of our legs were straight and we just were pulling each other into sideways directions and we ended up just falling over <laughs> instead of swaying back and forth. <laughs> so... Well, that I, one was it. That one is an example of something that I just never am ever going to be able to do. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I will try, try anything. Great A content, though. I will link to that one in the show notes, and maybe I can reshare it on Instagram for people, if, <laughs> if Instagram will let me. Um, yeah, that is fantastic. So, how do you mix this into your training? Because it also sounds like you and Kyra both are similar in that you just train your asses off. You know, you've described like six days a week, you know, two a days, and you're just training, 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 training. So, how does this fit in? Do you schedule it in? Is it just whenever you think of something, you just take a break from campusing or hard bouldering or hangboarding or whatever else and just do something funny for a while? How does it fit into the bigger equation of your training? Yeah, I mean, ironically, it's sort of what you were talking about, about just following motivation. I think like that sort of fits into it. Um, you know, some days you're like really motivated to do really hard spray wall climbs for like three hours straight. Some days warming up is really hard and like you get halfway through the warm up and it's just like, geez, climbing today seems like just the worst idea and then those are the days where you maybe try to do you know standing splits when you know you can't um <laughs> and i mean sometimes the, the especially the fail videos are actually really fast because you just try it five times and you go no can't do it <laughs> okay. i didn't think i you know i didn't think i could do it and i can't so a lot of times it's like your session is done and we just try to do something dumb for the last 15 minutes of the day mm. before we go home. Um, I think that's the most common occurrence. Unless, like I said, it's like a backpack or a climbing challenge where it takes forever. And then usually those are just on low motivation climbing days. And you just sort of take the take the L for the day and, and do something fun instead. Um, a lot of the challenges that I do with Kyra that are more like actual fitness challenges like we're doing pull-ups with each other or front levers or, or things like that um we also just end up doing at the end of a of a session 
and those sort of same similar genre just end up being like, Oh, I wonder if we could do this. And then we try it and either it works or it doesn't. And then we go home. Um, so I think in that sense, I do it a lot. I sort of have that section of doing something fun or, or trying to see like, oh, I wonder what would happen if we tried this or what would happen if we tried that. And I think there is a little bit of that in at least, you know, a few sessions a week, mm. uh, which is good. Cause I think it, it sort of reminds me that climbing is fun and that it's not like the end of the world if it's a bad session or if you weren't able to do something that day or, or whatever. So it sort of reminds me that climbing is fun and it's a passion of mine. And I'm really lucky to be here in Salt Lake and be training and be climbing full time and to have great patient, fun friends that I do that are willing to do things like that with me. And, um, so I think it's not like it's a huge time commitment, but it, it has a big impact on my mental space when I'm training. Hmm. Okay. I have a question about this determination that you have. So, you know, you described sitting under the dyno for two hours, just trying this move over and over. <clears throat> and I can, I, I'm probably a little bit, I'm more on that end of the spectrum as well. Like I, when I really want to do something, I can just like hammer myself at it until it either goes or I'm bleeding from all my fingers or whatever. And where that has backfired for me is I can do the same thing with a training routine or a program. Like I've had to really learn over the last few years how to listen to myself, how to be more flexible and learn to go with the flow because I'm the person that I'm like, I said I would do this. I have it on the calendar. I'm going to do it. And I might show up to the gym and warming up feels hard. And I'm like, climbing just feels horrible today, but I got to like check the box. I got to do the thing. I got to have the you know, whatever the strength session that I said I would have, even though I, I don't feel good. And that hasn't worked. That has not served me. That has not worked well. And I've had to learn how to uh, be more flexible and uh, kind of adaptable. And I'm curious how you think about that, because you train so much. You described to me when we talked last that you have this kind of go by feel approach. And I would love to hear how you think about taking a day like that, where you take the L, as you said, and just shift gears and pivot to something that does feel productive when you're not feeling strong and you're not feeling motivated to be on the spray wall. How do you think about when to lean into that versus when to put your head down and power through and persevere or, you know, grind or whatever else? How, how do those things fit together for you? Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting question. I think first of all, I've had to learn that having a session where I, for example, sit under a boulder and try the same boulder for two hours until I do it. Like that's not a productive session. I think before I would have thought that that was productive because I was successful in the end, but it's not, I'm just doing the same boulder over and over again. I'm ruining my training for the next three days mm. because my skin is bad and I'm tired and I'm sore because I did the same shoulder blast move you know, 40 times in a row. Like that's not, it's not a productive training. That's not making me stronger. That's not making my ability to be confident in myself and my mental space better that like there, that's not, I was successful on the boulder after working on it for two hours, but that is not doing anything for me in my training in the future, in the grand scheme of things. Um, so I think those moments where I allow myself to have a session like that is actually slightly regressive for me and my training and in my mental space. Um, I think for me, those 
the ability to try a boulder a bunch and then step back and let it go is actually more productive for me in a session. Because like I said, I think my mental space is the biggest weakness of mine. Um, but, but that's not my instinct for sure. Um, I think it's interesting. I was just saying my friend Chloe Costco is the same as me, but she'll, she'll sometimes walk up to me with her training journal and she'll have like a checkbox that says core, like she's supposed to do a core workout. And she'll go, she'll go, Al, I'm so tired, but I have a checkbox. Like, that's like the, like, it's like, she just needs to do it because she wrote it down. <laughs> um, and like that, that's sort of my, that's my like natural state for sure is to be, to be more like that. And I did do that for a long time. Like you said, my coaches in Vancouver would send me a training plan. And if it was in the training plan, I was doing it. Like, even if it was some of the worst sets and reps I've ever done in my life, with the lowest amount of weight, like I would get them done. I think now I'm able to look back at that and say like, again, those doing that is not, was not productive for me to be forcing sets of things that were not done at my best capacity was not productive. So I think that's partially been it, been able to step back away from, from past training experiences and look at it and in the sense of like, what is really helping me and what, amount of workload is actually beneficial and what kind of, of output is actually beneficial for me. Cause I've, like you said, it's not like we don't train a lot. Like we do, we train a lot, but, um, I think I'm learning more and more what's, what's working is for me to have priorities of things so I can have certain exercises. Like right now, I think one of my biggest weaknesses, um, is, being in a lock-off position or pull-ups, um, like weighted pull-ups has been a good focus for me. My arms are really long. My, yeah. Can you, can you tell me about that? <laughs> so I'm five, six and my wingspan is six, one, so I'm plus <laughs> seven inch appendix. <laughs> that so if you can incredible. imagine, <laughs> you can imagine the levers are a little off. Le- levers are all fucked up. Yeah. Being able to hold a 90 degree lock-off. So that's been something that I've been working at. Six so, one man, that is still blowing my mind. Yeah, my nickname here is Big Al because of that. So, if you that's why, if you see that on the internet, that's why that's my nickname, not any other reason. <laughs> um, but that's been sort of my main strength based weakness. So, I think what I've sort of decided is that I can have that mentality. Like I have to do this in this session about a few things. So about what I'm focused on. So like I can have that mentality around weighted pull-ups and lock-offs because that's what my weakness is. And that's what I'm focusing on. But if I'm really tired at the end of a session and I don't feel like doing core because I'm really tired and it will be bad, then I'm able to let that go because I just climbed for three hours and my core probably was working that whole time. So it's not, that's not like a make or break moment. Mm. So I think for me, it's been about prioritizing what is important and what is actually going to be beneficial in my training and moving forward and not just checking off boxes because I wrote it down like that. That's not helpful. And me doing a half-assed set of something at way lower capacity than what I'm capable of is not going to be helping me in the future. And it's just going to make me more wrecked for the next session. Mm -hmm. I also think partially that's because we do so many sessions. So like 
for me to say, I'm not going to do it this session. I'll do it next session. That means in three hours, not like <laughs> in two days. <laughs> so I think you got to take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah. Did, did I get that right earlier? Is it like six days a week, twice a day? What, what is a common? So, yeah. So we have yeah. two rest days. So it's five, we have five days a week. Okay. Um, and then. But double sessions every time? Not every time. Okay. For sure. Um, but I would say probably four out of five of those days. That's incredible. Yeah. And then this was really interesting to me too. Can you talk a little bit about observing all these other athletes at this Olympic training center and the variety that you guys observe? Like, it sounds like you and Kyra are really aligned in the way, or at least in the volume that you train. And it sounds sure. like that is just this massive spectrum and everybody has their own way of doing it. Can you speak to that? Yeah, totally. I, um, I don't know. I think, I think, I think some people are definitely resters, <laughs> um, more than others. Yeah. Uh, I also think sort of, it's just what people are adapted to. I think people get used to doing one thing or another. Like I think the capacity of training that Kyra and I have somehow just adapted our body to is really, really high. Mm -hmm. Um, so we are just training a lot because it's what we've been used to and it's what we've done for a really long time now. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I don't necessarily think it's better or worse. And I don't think hmm. there's a right or a wrong. I think we have, we are fortunate enough to have the time and the ability to train as much as we do. Um, and so, so we take advantage of it. And I think, I mean, it's resulted in us both, I think being really physically strong in one way or another you know I, i'm sure everybody has seen the videos of kyra doing one arms in campusing and and her just like raw power that she has i think that in particular she just has trained a lot you know I, we the funniest things we get both of us are people saying like oh i really want to be able to campus board like you guys like what's the secret and there's just not one it's just we campus at least twice a week for you know four or five years is like, <laughs> that's the secret. It's not like there's this one exercise that I can give you. That's going to be, make you into this incredible campus board athlete. It's just like, we both, we train a lot. We campus board a lot. And now we're pretty decent at it. <laughs> like that's sort of the, that's like, there's no secret solution. So I think for those aspects of things, the amount of time and the amount of training that Kyra and I are able to put into it is really helpful. Um, especially for me, campus boarding is a good one is a good example for me because that's not inherently something that I, that was a strength of mine. Mm. Um, I think partially because my arms are long, partially just because that one arm offset pulling power has always been something I've struggled with and lock offs and sort of it targets a bunch of weaknesses of mine. But, um, that said, I think there's other people who really excel at that. So they don't need to train as much because they don't need to gain that. That's not the aspect of climbing that they need to work on. It might be technique. It might be, mm. you know, um, footwork or whatever the other things are. So I think for me, training a lot has been beneficial because it has allowed me to get stronger at the things that I was weak at. Mm -hmm. But I think that's not necessarily true for everyone. All of that is so interesting. Like your point about the campus boarding is well taken. There's no secret sauce. 
But at the same time, like that's a really interesting insight because it wouldn't, you know, most people, most training programs out there, I think of campusing as like something that I would do at specific points of the year and I would do it a couple times a week, maybe for like three or four weeks in a power phase or something. And then I would go back to prioritizing outdoor climbing or finger strength or whatever else um, on, a, on a hangboard. But it wouldn't really occur to me to campus twice a week always, you know, like for years and years and years. So that's actually, that's actually really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it obviously for us, it fluctuates a little bit because we do have a competition season. Mm. Unfortunately, the competition climbing season in a normal year is typically almost all the way year round. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it does end up actually fluctuating a little bit just because you're not campusing that much right before a competition or in between competitions. So like in the past two and a half, three weeks, I've campused once mm. because there's been two competitions coming up. So like, it's not, when I say that I, I, it's obviously periodized in some way or another, just naturally because of where our competitions are, are set. But I mean, the other thing, the other thing that I think people may be surprised to know is like, I, I really like campusing. Like that doesn't feel like work or like something I don't want to do. Like I'm excited for the mornings that like I've decided are going to be campus mornings, Mm. um, in terms of training. Like I really like that quantitative, more gritty side of, of the process and of, of training. So, um, a lot of times I campus board that much because I like it. Like, it's not, it's not like, it's something that I have to make myself do. So, and, and in that, in that sense, it's also inconsistent as well. Cause if I'm having a, a week or two where I, I just feel like I'm regressing and I'm not feeling that strong, then I'll, I'll take some time off, off campusing for sure. But it is like campus boarding and hangboarding. I both, I just, I really like it. Like it's something that I think is, fun and enjoyable for me. So that is also another side of the coin is it, it doesn't feel like it's something I'm forcing myself to do when I don't want to. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a perfect segue. I really would love to pick your brain about hangboarding because you are, I have this obsession with this topic in particular. You are extremely good at the one thing that I I desire most to be better at in my own climbing because I'm terrible at it. But I really want to be able to walk up to a Beastmaker 2000 and hang from that freaking middle edge with one hand. And I can almost, I'm like kind of close in an open hand grip. I'm terrible in a half crimp grip. I'm starting to learn about myself, like maybe there's a weird finger anatomy thing there, and I'm not sure how fixated I should be on the grip type. I don't really know, but regardless, it's not great, and I have a lot of room for improvement, and I've also done a shitload of hangboarding, and I've had a nauseating number of conversations about hangboarding on this podcast, and maybe people are totally sick of it, but I still am always curious, and with someone like you, um, for context for people, I mean... I can't remember, correct me on the numbers, but I think you can hang from that edge I'm describing, like a 25 or 20 mil edge with like 60 pounds in your other hand, one arm. Yeah. That is ridiculous. It's amazing. And, you know, you couldn't always do that. I I remember, I think it was from that interview with Tom, you were talking about not being able to hang at body weight or maybe only body weight a few years ago. So it, it sounds like you've gotten there through this go by feel approach with all your training, I'd love to ask 
I mean, are you following specific hangboard programs or do you just show up and work on one arm hangs a couple times a week, all year, every year until you get better at them? Like what, what has that progression looked like for you? Um, yeah, so I was, I was following a training plan. Like I said, um, I worked with Christian core in Vancouver for, I think it was just over two years, maybe a little longer. Legend. I don't know. That guy. Um, he is amazing. Yeah. And he, uh, his knowledge base really comes from that kind of, um, I guess mentality around climbing, like the smaller hold you can hold with the greater amount of weight and the more one-arm pull-ups you can do, the better you're going to be like that. Mm. Um, I mean, not, that's not all encompassing of Christian. He actually is a very, I think, well-rounded and knowledgeable coach but a lot of his fingerboarding and strength programs sort of revolve around that um so i was i was following his training plan for a while um now i do mostly go by feel and most of my hangboarding is is uh is is those one-arm hangs um the first thing i'll say about that is there's sort of an aid way to do that edge. I don't know if you've heard anybody talk about that yet, but if you, <laughs> let's get you can, into it. You can notch your pinky in <laughs> the side of it uh-huh. and it makes it easier to hang. So a lot of what I tell people, which has made the difference between people being able to hang at a knot is you just, you like slot your pinky into the side of the hold where it right, right rounds on the side. Mm-hmm. And then you can hang it. Like it, it makes enough of a difference that you can hang that edge. So for me, I think it also depends on finger anatomy, but for me, if I notch my pinky, that's the easiest way to do it. And if I notch my pointer finger, it's also slightly easier, mm. but harder. And then the easiest way is obviously when you're the sides of your fingers aren't touching the edges of the hold. The hardest way. The hard, yeah, sorry. The hardest way yeah. is when you're just right in the middle of the hold. So for me, that was like, and sometimes I'll do like, if I add more weight, I'll notch my pinky to add more weight just to, to start doing it. And then I'll move towards oh, that's um, interesting. the middle again. Um, I think for me, for the most part is I, I, I just go by what feels hard and like, what's the hardest thing I can possibly do for like a decent amount of time, like at least three seconds. Um, and then that's what I do until I can do it for longer than, you know, five or seven. And then maybe I try to up the weight. I, it was actually Kyra. Kara Condi, who, who told me when I was hangboarding with her in Minnesota one time, I went to go visit her and I was hanging off the edge and she was hanging with extra weight on that edge. And I was like, dang, that's so cool. And she was like, oh, well, you should just try it. And I was like, oh, but I can't, cause I had read somewhere like, oh, you should add weight only when you can hang for seven seconds off. So, you know, there was some, mm. somebody, somebody had discovered some algorithm that was supposed to be the, I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, so I just wasn't doing it. And she was like, oh, well, you could probably do it too. And I was like, oh, there's no way I'm not supposed to, blah, blah, blah. And then I tried it and I could. So I think I sort of make things a little bit too hard. So where you're only hanging for a second or two seconds, and then I, and then I back off the weight. So I think for me, it's like, if it feels hard, then it feels like it's doing something. And I think that's sort of what I've always gone by for hangboarding. Hmm. Um, Cause I think I also have talked to people about when I like notch my pinky, they're like, oh, well, that's cheating. And I'm like, well, can you hang the edge now? And they say, well, yeah. And I go, okay, well. <laughs> yeah, it kind of balances right. out. Like if you're able to do more load because you're getting that assistance, like it, it's still doing, you're still getting the same tri- training stimulus, I have to imagine. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I'm, I, you know, there's, like you said, there's a million different opinions on it. I think probably some people would disagree and say it's better to just like do an ISO pull with your feet on the ground still in the correct middle position of that edge. I'm sure that's an opinion somebody has, but, um, for me, it's been the ability to actually hang on the edge, whether your pinky's notched or not, that has helped me progress the most. And I, I think has seen, has helped the friends and the people that I've told progress the most for sure hmm. as well. I actually have just started hangboarding. I have, I have let go of the Beastmaker 2000 oh. middle edge. Um, and you, I am you conquered doing, it. I'm doing all my hangs on the tension board now. Okay. Um, because it's, because it's harder. <laughs> Are the edges a little smaller? The Beastmaker edge is rounded and slightly in-cut. Mm. So it's actually, I know, but I, people are going to get offended by me using this word, but I don't mean it. It is actually slightly juggy. Like, that's like the best way I can describe it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that it's jug. I get I, it. I don't mean that. But it I is totally a, hear you and I love it. I just love it. Yeah, it's perfect. It is a tiny jug. <laughs> um, and the tension, the grindstone, their newest grindstone is really tapered and um, it's comfortable, but it is tapered down. So it is a little bit slopey. Mm. So their, their 20 mil edge um, is a lot harder than the, I think personally, um, I can only hang about, like you said, again, I don't mean only, I know that hangboarding is my <laughs> it's okay. You're like one of the best in the world. It's fine. I don't it's want fine. people to get offended, <laughs> but I can only hang like 15 or 20 pounds off of my other hand okay. on, the, on the tension 20 mil. And I think the Beastmaker one is about 22. It is okay. tapered slightly okay. so that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. They don't, the Beastmaker doesn't post their edge sizes. I think that's probably on purpose. Yeah, you have to like do a pretty deep dive into Reddit to find out what size those holes are. Somebody (laughs) went in with like a caliper on a Reddit, Uh some Reddit thread to like try to figure out. I think the Beastmaker is about 22 mil. Okay. But the tension 20 mil edge is significantly harder Mm. than that edge. So I've, I've actually stopped. Um, I sort of had this moment of like, okay, I feel like I can do this Beastmaker edge. I feel like I'm good with this edge. Like, like we it can sure maybe, sounds like it. We yeah, can maybe move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other thing about the tension yeah. edge is you is you can't you can't notch that pinky. Okay. Because it it's not rounded in the same way. Yeah. Um. So that has also been a little bit harder mentally. Because Kyra and I would always say like we'd go in and do a hangboard session, and we'd say, oh yeah, like I was able to do it, but I did it. Like I did, I was hanging notched today. Like that's like <laughs> one of our <laughs> qualifiers. One of the ways we, uh, yeah, we, uh, we modify our, our exercises, but you can't do that on the tension board. So it really makes you level up for sure. Are you still making progress in your finger strength? Definitely. Yeah. That's yeah. fucking crazy. That like, that completely obliterates any, uh, limits I like to try to make on myself about like what my physiology is capable of or whatever. Like that's all bullshit. When I hear that you can already hang 60 pounds on that edge in additional to your body weight, and then you're still making progress. Like, okay, time to, time to get to work for me, I guess. Yeah. I, uh, I think one thing I've been trying to do more of is do less of that same type of hangboarding. I think a lot of times I would do that because I, it makes me feel good. Like, sure. obviously it's something I'm really good at. So I would just do it because, um, because I am good at it and because it would be a good little confidence boost for me a couple times a week. 
Um, but like I said, like my walk-offs, my 90 degree lock-off and like 120 lock-off abilities are just trash compared to mm. the other things that I'm pretty good at in climbing. Um, I do like to chalk it up to my arms being extra long, but, uh, I have started trying to in, maybe instead of adding 60 pounds, I try to hold the edge in a 90 degree lock off instead so that I'm still working my fingers, definitely not to their max capacity, but that, um, I'm focusing on a weakness instead of something that is sort of a disproportionate strength to the rest of my climbing abilities. Got it. So instead of hanging just straight arm with your shoulder engaged, you're doing it at a 90 degree lock off now. I do both. I, okay. I, I can't, I can't, I mean, I can't let go of my, my, hang, my <laughs> yeah. hangboarding workouts, but, yeah. um, I actually have a slight finger injury at the moment. So I haven't mm. been able to do that half crimp hanging in a while. And that also makes me sad. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the other thing I was going to say, like your shoulders must be so strong to be able to do that. Like, I don't think I could keep a straight arm with an engaged shoulder, holding 60 pounds if I was hanging from a pull-up bar like I, maybe but that would be hard for sure yeah I think it's sort of I think what I've noticed just colloquially is that a lot of times it's like people's body morphology sort of dictates how they climb and what they're good at beyond like what their sizes are like I think because my arms are so long I've had to learn to rein them in <laughs> so to speak um which is just by circumstance made my shoulders really strong mm. um because my arms are so long i've had to learn to be able to deal with them which means that a lot of it goes right through my shoulders because i can't hold that 90 degree lock off so if my shoulders aren't engaged and aren't stable then i my power doesn't come from anywhere so i think that um that is why i have that shoulder strength my shoulders are also hyper mobile. Um, so yeah, I think I get a lot of, um, a lot of what I do in climbing is thanks to my shoulders for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. So, you know, you were talking about the campusing and how there's no secret sauce. And I recently recorded a conversation with Tom Randall and, you know, of course I was excited to pick his brain about tension or uh, I'm sorry, lattice and all the, um, assessments they've done. And like, what is the best way to get your fingers stronger that you guys have observed? And same thing. He's like, I'm so tired of having to say that there's no secret sauce. And then I'm the person that like keeps asking all these hangboard questions anyway, because <laughs> I like still want to know what people are doing. So I'm going to do that. Um, I would love to hear, I mean, it sounds like most of your sessions, at least nowadays, they sound intuitive. It sounds like as long as it feels hard, who cares exactly what you're doing. Um, but it sounds like mostly they're kind of max strength oriented, just a few, you know, however many really, really high intensity hangs. Yeah. For the most part. Okay. I, uh, I actually think it was Christian core who first, I had this conversation with him about, he would write my training plan and he would have me climb, do my whole climbing, whatever it was activity for the day. And then have me hangboard at the end of the session. Hmm which I always said I didn't like because then I wasn't doing as well on the hangboard. And I think he just said, it doesn't matter. Does it feel hard? And I was like, well, yeah, but I can't hang as much weight. And it's like, you know, I'm doing less work. And he was like, well, if it's hard, then it's fine. Huh. Um, I don't, I mean, I, again, I think he's great. I, I actually credit a lot of the strength gains I've made to him um, for sure. Yeah. But 
Um, I actually don't know if I agree with that anymore. I do like hangboarding before I do the climbing part of my workout. Oh, okay. We're actually, we're actually on my, on its own. Like I'll hangboard and, and do some other strength exercises in our morning session and then do my big climbing session in the, in the evening. Mm. But I think that philosophy is actually really good that if it feels hard, then that's like what we're looking for. So yeah. Okay. I definitely, I, I do for, I like, I do record how much weight I hang off of what edge, but like some days 25 pounds feels hard and other days 40 pounds feels hard and other days body weight feels hard. And, um, I think I sort of go by feel in that sense hmm. of, uh, of it. Okay. That's, that's good to hear. Um, or that's just interesting. That's good context. And are you, do you primarily focus on just the one grip position or do you train a variety of grips? Yeah, I, I mean, I do actually, I do just focus on the one just for the most cramp. part. I've started doing the three finger drag a little bit. Um, partially because like I said, my finger is injured now and that's the grip I can do. But, uh, but even before that, I was starting to do it a little bit. Um, it's not that much different for me. I don't think it feels scarier for some reason, just loading my fingers, just three fingers like that. Um, but I think strength wise, it's pretty similar. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, again, I just, there's so many different opinions on totally yeah. on grip types, but I think for me, like half crimp is my strongest grip position. And I'm never going to like, if I have a hold that is the correct, like is any, almost any size, I'm going to half crimp it. Like if that's what I'm going to do, like, mm. I'm not going to get to a hold and just be like, Oh, you know, I feel like I'm going to three finger drag this one. Obviously there are exceptions to that. And like, if I had a project where I had to do something different, I would probably train something different. But, um, for the most part, like I half crimp things. So I don't like, I, I don't know. I, for me, it's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do a different grip position when I'm climbing if I don't have to. So it's not what I'm going to train mm. is sort of my philosophy. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's working. Um, it's, it's the way I like to look at it. Yeah. It's gotten you crazy <laughs> strong at your half cramp, which is like I said, my <laughs> obsession, <laughs> yeah. my life, my life work to get better at half crimping. Um, can you give me a sense of the volume of a session like that and how often you would do that in the, the, the larger scheme of all the other training you're doing? Yeah, usually it's, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely at least once a week, usually two. Um, and then I usually do like five sets of okay. one arm hangs with a given amount of weight. Sometimes I usually vary those sets, like the first three, for example, are like on a 20 mil edge with more weight. And then this, the last two are on a smaller edge with no weight. Oh, okay. Um, just to try to vary the, the exercise and get different edge types in. Um, but yeah, that's usually what it looks like. And you don't, you don't really worry about whether or not you're at your max load. You just show up and whatever you can do that day, whatever feels hard is what you go with. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. Cool. Um, I've been doing like, and then I've been doing two, like two arm hangs of different grip types, like okay. monos or two finger front two, back two, like those kind of, um, hangs a little bit as well, just sporadically. But, um, I haven't done weighted two arm weighted hangs in a while. 
Oh, those are just at body weight? Mm-hmm. Okay. But, but a bunch of the girls at the training center do. It's interesting. Everybody has different, even just within the same training group, everybody has different uh, different go-tos in terms of hanging. So, I mean, yeah, that really is the thing. Like, I I actually do feel like I learn a little something every time I have a conversation like this, despite having had many, many conversations about hangboarding. You just always get a little bit more context. You get a sense of, like if you're, you know, if you're doing five sets of really high intensity, one or two days a week is probably enough. Don't try to do a lot more than that. And that's someone, you know, that's coming from you who are, you're a very high, highly trained athlete with tons of capacity. Um, I always learn something, but it is interesting. I like, I don't think I've had a single conversation that was the same as a previous one. You know, everybody mm-hmm. has a slightly different approach, whether it's, you know, taking finger strength in seasons and just doing it in uh, their, you know, quote, off season from climbing in these training blocks or doing a mix of repeaters and max strength or, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, everyone's doing it differently and a lot of people are getting the same results. So, yeah, I mean, and it is good. Like that's another one of the reasons why it's great living here in Salt Lake is because there are so many different um, approaches and you can pull things from other people and see what works and, um, I don't know. And even just people asking questions in the gym, I find really like has pushed me in ways I wasn't expecting, you know, like if you're already so good at like, if your finger strength's already so good, like, should you be focusing on other things, Mm. you know? And you're like, huh? (laughs) Yeah, maybe maybe. (laughs) it's a good point. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that is why people get stronger here is because people, ask questions like that and are doing different things and are always wanting to talk about hangboarding and what are you doing? And this is what I'm doing and comparing notes. And I don't know that there is consensus still on what is good and what is not. I think it maybe is different for everybody, which is one reason why it is so inconsistent, but, um, it is really nice. Yeah. I mean, powerlifting has been around a long time and I don't think there's a consensus way to train for that. You know, you can, you can buy, hundreds of books and read countless articles on how to do that. And people are coming up with new ideas to try all the time. So I think that's just, that's just the way of the world. Um, I am curious though, is there anything else that you've changed since moving to Salt Lake in your own approach or your own, your own training? You mentioned prioritizing the arm strength and the lock-offs and weighted pull-ups and stuff, but anything else that you've observed from other people that you've, that has led you to stop doing things that you were doing or to add in anything new or shift priorities at all? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things is definitely trying to let go more of, um, of feeling like I have to do all these things in one session or another, or mm. just because other people are doing something that I have to do it or, or whatever it is. Um, I think sort of, like you said, like, I think everybody's different and I think I do best with a go with the flow type training situation to an extent, I think I'm sort of working actually right now on finding a sort of a happy medium, something that's not like, here is my training plan. I have to do it. And I'm going to like work myself into the ground until I'm so sore that I can't move. And (laughs) you know, then it's just, you're not progressing and sort of just the doing whatever I want and, and never working on things that I'm bad at. So I, I think finding that middle ground, um, where it's not necessarily like laissez faire laid back. I'm doing whatever's fun every day. Um, 
but finding that middle ground, I think is, is something I'm still working on. Um, but I've been working on it a, a lot while I've been here. Um, I've also been climbing a lot, uh, more outside since I've moved here actually, okay. which I think has been really good for me mentally for sure. That's a good segue. Can you tell me about top outs? Ah, <laughs> the notorious top outs. <laughs> I loved your video of uh, Superman. Oh yeah, and so your, that is a, your post with that one. That was great. That is a good one. So actually, that's funny. So my uh, my boyfriend Palmer Larson is the coach for uh, the head coach of the youth programs at Momentum Climbing here in uh, Salt Lake City. Okay. And so he was out there that day with uh, me and three of his team girls who are all under 18 or whatever. And uh, he like the the conversations he was having with them as like teenagers who are just learning to climb outside was like really helpful oh, for me. Yeah, cool. Which has been, I mean, it's just been interesting to be around it. And I mean, I, I definitely, he's a phenomenal coach and I definitely wish I had one of him when I was a teenager and trying to learn to rock climb because it, I mean, I'm doing it at 25, but it is a struggle. Um, <laughs> but that said, like growing up in, in Canmore, I was always surrounded by this outdoor climbing culture, but my parents weren't really that plugged into it. So we never like went on family trips climbing outside. Um, and I was always really focused on competitions and being, competitive and being the best in that arena. So I didn't, I just really didn't climb outside that much, even though I lived, you know, in the epicenter of sport climbing in Canada, I, I just didn't, I didn't go outside. I didn't really learn how to. Um, and then I just got to be at my, the strength I am now inside almost exclusively. Um, I hadn't really bouldered outside until I moved to Vancouver to go to school when I was 19 and then was next to Squamish. And even then my first few years in, in Vancouver, I was so focused on competition and I was also in university. So I didn't have time to drive out to Squamish. So I went like maybe twice a year, even though it's like 45 minutes to an hour away. Mm. Um, which again is crazy to even to people who live in Vancouver. Um, but I think to an extent, I was always also self-conscious of it, of the fact that like I hadn't climbed outside that much. I wasn't that good at it. Mm. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, sure. Yeah. So I think, and I was just scared that I wasn't going to be good enough at climbing outside or, or all these things. It wasn't going to translate. I hadn't done it enough. Um, all of these things. And then I finally decided that I was going to do it in, I think it was 2019 that I was going to like climb outside more. And it went really well. Like I, I sent my first V10, 11 and 12 on the same weekend. <laughs> I like just committed to it and, uh, that must and it have worked out. Awesome. <laughs> it was, it was honestly, that was uh, definitely one of the most memorable, um, experiences I've had climbing so far. It was just hmm. deciding that, that I could climb hard outside and I didn't need to be like panicked about it anymore. And it really worked out. Um, and then, uh, a few months later I did my first V13 that summer, which was really exciting. And that was sort of my first experience with projecting, even though it wasn't really now looking back at it, it wasn't like it was a long-term project. I think it was six, five or six days in a row of climbing that boulder. <laughs> in a row? Um, like I think there was one in rest row? day <laughs> in between. I think I That's went incredible. Three, three days, rest day, two days, and then I did it. In Squamish? Mm-hmm. 
That's um, so amazing. What what boulder was it? It's ter- Terminator. Okay. Spanish. It's like a big traverse, which is good for my arms because mm. I don't have to pull up. I just have to pull <laughs> sideways. Um, so that was also exciting. But then I think I got to this point where my strength equated to doing double digit boulders, out- boulders outside like that. My finger strength, my climbing knowledge, all of these things from competition climbing led to me moving here to Salt Lake and being able to have the strength capacity to climb that level of boulder. The caveat to that is I ha- I don't have this like base of doing hundreds of V4s or V5s or V6s or all of these like smaller grade numbers. <laughs> so I get to a top out that's like, I've done the hard climbing, but this top out is V4 and I'm still uncomfortable because I haven't done this grade really outside. So now I'm like really high off the ground, don't know how to mantle that well, haven't really had this experience coming before. And so I just get panicked and I like start my, you know, I'm like, get the leg shake and I'm like sliding all over the place and I'm going the wrong direction. And my spotter is going to, you know, have a panic attack. And (laughs) so it's been this really great learning experience for me to be like climbing outside a lot more and to have these moments of like, this is only V4. I can do it. I just have to like be calm and like, remember what to do and do all these things. Um, but it's been really great to have somebody like uh, like Palmer around who's good at sort of having these educational moments with with people who are just learning that because I'm at a point in my climbing where I shouldn't be just learning these things. Um, you know, I should have had all this experience that I that I haven't had. And I've, I've had a, a couple good conversations with him actually about um, it was it was actually him who helped me realize that that's why I had top out panic is you know he was like how many how many v5s have you ever done mm. and i was like three like i don't, <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I don't know totally I, yeah it totally makes know. sense i mean you've climbed a, you know thousands of them in the gym but you never get to practice sketchy top outs in the gym they're never no. they're never sandy or like wet you know, or wet yeah. or like weird mantles or yeah totally the pads so, are not quite in the right spot. Like you never, yeah, you never have to think about any of that stuff in the climbing gym. Yeah. So that, I mean, that, that has been really good. Like I said, I think even in competitions, confidence is something that I've had to be working really hard on and that I still am working hard on. And I think I'm, am nowhere near mentally where I need to be in that realm. Um, but climbing outside has been really helpful hmm. for me in that way to be like, I am high off the ground, but this is not hard. Like you, I can do this part of the boulder. Like it's not, you don't need to panic. Like it's going to be okay. Um, and it's been, it's been good and, and, and helpful to have people here and people around me that have climbed outside a lot and, and are patient enough to, to help me through the V4s of life. (laughs) (laughs) The V4 mantles of life. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Do you have any specific examples of, I mean, can you remember what Palmer was saying to those girls that resonated with you? Or are there any specific things that you've practiced or worked on to get more comfortable when you're up high like that? Well, one is doing things on a rope. I hardly knew that existed. uh, Oh, funny. I moved here. Um, So that's been nice. I think I like re- rehearsing about, the top out of a boulder on a rope. Yeah. Like rappelling down and, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and feeling the holds and sort of just knowing what to expect, not just getting up to the top of the boulder and being like, I don't know what any of the holds are or where to go. And I'm 
15 feet off the ground and I'm scared. So I think that's been helpful. Um, I think even just like breathing cues is a good one. Mm. Like I, for a while, I just tend to hold my breath and panic and, uh, sometimes cry and then <laughs> down climb and then jump off or like what, you know, bail. Um, I think for a lot of times, I think it was actually really frustrating for Palmer, if I'm going to be totally honest, but I would like insist that I would, I don't want to try the top out. I don't want to climb the V4. If I'm going to do it, I'd like, because I was so scared, I didn't want to be scared more than once. Like I needed like the pressure mm. of the send to be like, I'm sending this boulder in order to push through the fear of falling. And so then I'd start from the beginning, start from the beginning of the boulder and climb up and then get to the top out and panic and let go and fall. And then he would kind of be like, okay, well maybe let's like try this top out section. Like just, <laughs> you know, we'll like boost you up there. We'll stack pads and then you can try the top out and then do it. And I would be like, no, I need to like, <laughs> if I'm going to do it, it's going to count. God damn it. So it gets to the point where I'd be like trying to send, I don't know, like a pretty hard double digit boulder. And I would just be doing laps of the part that's like hard <laughs> and then just bailing off the top out. And I think it was frustrating for probably for him and for everybody else involved to be like, Oh my God, if she would just climb the easy top out one time. So I think, I think being confident enough in myself that like I can push through the fear more than one time. Like I don't have to have the pressure of sending in order to get through it, mm. that I can be more methodical with how I approach a boulder. I think has been really good. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't not I, I don't know if I've necessarily come to a full summative conclusion about why I was doing that so much. Um, I still do a little bit, to be honest, do the thing where I have to do it from the start every time because I want to send it and mm. never have to do it again. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it definitely has been a, a steep learning curve for me climbing outside. And I definitely I have other friends that have taken me on little uh tours of little cottonwood like the best v5s and little so i've been trying to regressively build that base up a little bit of granite mantles and and super sandbagged v5s that i can't do and um <laughs> nice. that kind of thing so um i think that has been mentally really good for me because it was definitely always something i was self-conscious of was like i felt like i was really strong in the gym but i just felt like i couldn't necessarily back that up outside and and was a little scared to try so. sure yeah yeah that makes sense i mean you're you're known for how strong you are and how good you are so that's a vulnerable place to be yeah um, but i definitely feel like i'm starting to be on the other side of that now which is really exciting i'm able to have like big goals of sending hard and 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 doing more hard boulders and um yeah i'm actually also really excited for for that side of my climbing career too now nice and i think I can, uh, I can, I can balance those really well, have the, the competition side of things and the outdoor climbing side of things. And, um, I think they go hand in hand. Like, I think part of, part of why I was always hesitant to climb outside too, was I felt like I was losing climbing time for like training for competition climbing in sure. the gym. Yeah. So I felt like it was like a lost day, which I think I just am slowly accepting is not, that's just not how it works. It's not true. I think huh. they are, they do complement each other well even if it's just mentally, like even if climbing outside is my mental training, I think they complement each other really well. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it was more just like missing a training day was like a giant unmarked 
checkbox that we were talking right, about earlier right, right. that I felt like I left unchecked. So I felt like I was like letting my training slide. And so I think that really stubborn, determined side of me was like, if I want to be the best competition climber, then the only way I'm going to do that if, is if I am the hardest working person. Like mm. I'm not, I'm not Yanya Garnbrit. I'm not going to be a, which actually, honestly, she also trains really hard. She's not, she was not just, I mean, she is obviously really naturally good, but she is also trains really hard. But anyway, beyond that, like, I'm not going to just sit back and train a couple times a week and then be doing really well at world cups. Like some people can do that. It's not going to be me. I mm. don't have that natural ability to be that good at climbing. So I always thought that I was going to have, if I, I had to take every advantage that I could possibly take to be in the gym, to be training, to be working really hard. And that was how I was going to be good. So it was always really hard for me to like, let go of a day of that to go climb outside. Um, so it's been a really good experience for me to be here and to sort of understand why they go well together and why successful competition climbers are also successful outdoor rock climbers. Hmm. And, um, what they teach each other and, and, and what you can learn from both. So that is awesome to hear. I don't even know why, but I really, that feel, I feel like a little relieved to hear that. I think it's really cool to hear that because I've been wondering, I think a lot of us have been wondering, you know, are these two sports competition climbing on plastic and outdoor rock climbing, are they going to continue to diverge and move further and further apart and become two different sports? But I hope not. And I really like that. Um, I really, I really like that a lot of the top competitors also climb hard outside and, and vice versa. And it's, yeah, it's encouraging to hear that they help each other. That's really cool. It seems like it, that will continue to uh, ground our sport maybe in, in a yeah, cool way. I, I definitely think people sort of get stuck in, in the, the, the narrative of that, of the fact that they're not the same anymore which I think is true. Competition climbing and outdoor climbing are not the same anymore. I do think they're complementary, though. Like, I don't think they have to be the same sport because I don't think they are, but I do think they complement each other really well, both mentally and physically learning the intricacies of technique and out in outdoor rock climbing translates to competition climbing. I mean, I think even like I was saying at the beginning of this, this, these past two weekends, Natalia Grossman won both world cups and Brooke Rabatou was in third, both these two U.S. girls. And they just had the most phenomenal outdoor climbing summer Yeah, they this did. past summer in Boulder. Like they both sent just an unbelievable amount of V13s, V14s, V12s, V10s. Like I, I don't I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but there's a video on Mellow if you want to check it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, they just it's sort of one of the most incredible outdoor bouldering seasons i think i've ever seen from just a pair of young girls <laughs> like it's pretty incredible the se the outdoor season they had and then both back to now back to back weekends on the podium of a world cup too like i think that sort of proves in a, in and of itself that they do help each other and even though they're maybe not the same sport anymore you can excel at both and it is helpful to be doing to be doing both so cool. I think, I mean, I think even Natalia, um, Brooke flashed your, uh, Euro trash V12 on Damn. your roof in between competitions this week and then sent <laughs> the V13 in her mom's borrowed her mom's shoes. 
crashed V12, sent V13, and then was also on the podium again on the back-to-back weekend. So it's like, I, like, I, I think, I don't, I don't necessarily know what this, there is that attitude, I think amongst, especially amongst rock climbers that are like oh, competition climbing. It's just not climbing anymore. Um, and it is just an interesting attitude because mm. it, it isn't the same as rock climbing. Like, and I don't think anybody is trying to say it is, uh, but I think it is complementary towards each other. And I think it is really cool when people can do well in both and, and find a way to fit both of them into their lives. Yeah. That is interesting. I know what mindset or attitude you're talking about. And, um, I mean, yeah, like for me, I don't follow competitions closely. I have no desire to get better at the sort of coordination run and jumps that I totally suck at, but I still think it's totally badass. And I, I don't know, I, I guess it just is heartening to hear that because I think a lot of people that love competitions and are really good at it also love rock climbing and they love being outdoors and that's what got them into it in the first place. Or, um, you know, they have goals in both and it's, I don't know, it just seems really, that's cool. It's cool that they complement each other and that they both work. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I think for me, it's sort of like, even within the style of, of boulders in competition climbing, like it sort of parallels what I was talking about, about having these like fun challenges that I do that complement my so it's a sort of gritty part of training. Mm. Like you do in comps, you have boulders that are just straight up hard. And then you have these like fun coordination dyno challenges that all the old school rock climbers make fun of. But um, it's cool. I mean, there's both. Like it's like you can't, if you were just really good at coordination dynos and that was it, you wouldn't do that well mm. in a in a World Cup setting unless it was the single boulder that was a coordination move or a dyno or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I do, I mean, it is something that I think is really cool about competition climbing is it sort of has all these different facets to it. Well, let's get into some listener questions. Um, I have a, just a few for you. I have three listener questions here and the first one feels relevant right now. This one's from right. Jimmy and he's wondering, what is your most memorable competition moment? Hmm. I think I, I mean, everybody likes winning. Um, <laughs> I think my, I think my most memorable one is definitely when I won our Canadian nationals for the first time. Mm. Um, I was definitely an underdog at the time. Don't think anybody really expected me to win. Um, which I also did not realize at the time is like kind of the most fun place to be ever. Like it, it just is <laughs> a totally different experience once you've already done it and people like expect it, I guess, like it's definitely a lot more pressure. Yeah. Um, having already done it, but when you're an underdog and then you just win, it's just the best. Cause you just don't really have that much pressure. You know, you either do it or you don't, you're just out there trying your best. And then all of a sudden it works out. Like that definitely is the greatest, <laughs> I think competition feeling is, is uh, having that no expectations mental state and then having it work out for the best. I think mm. um, that was sort of the most poignant example of that, that I can think of. When was that and how old were you at the time? Give or take. Mm, that was 2018. So okay. I would have been 23. Very cool. Yeah, 23. Had to do some quick math. There. <laughs> yeah, okay, this person wanted to be left anonymous, but they said, just say it's from a fellow hive climber. 
Okay, great. <laughs> they didn't they didn't want to sound like a fangirl, which I thought was really cute. Could you ask Allison what she misses the most about Vancouver slash Squamish and what she misses the least? Hmm. That is a good question. Let's start with most. What do you miss the most? First of all, shout out to the hive. Love the hive. <laughs> the gyms in uh in Vancouver there. They are awesome and great. Um so I guess that's one of the things I miss is the hive climbing community. They are awesome up there. Um, I definitely I miss the ocean more than I thought, which is weird because mm. I didn't necessarily hang out all that much like down by the beach, I guess. But um, <laughs> I do miss it. It was it's really cool to be living so close to mountains and the ocean, and um, you know it's very green there. So I think I definitely miss that the environment um, aspect of it. Um, and yeah, I definitely, I miss the the community there as well. It was also a really great one and my, my coaches and all the people there. Um, it is, it's interesting. It does, it does parallel Salt Lake pretty well. Like it's, it's cool to have a place that's both an urban city, but then it's also really easy to get out into, uh, into the mountains and, and to, to climbing. Yeah. So I've actually really appreciated that about both Salt Lake and Vancouver, oh, that's um, cool. that it's sort of the best of both worlds. Uh, in some respect. So, so I get that in both places, which is really nice. Um, and then the least has just got to be the brain. Yeah. I figured (laughs) this is horrible. Yeah. I didn't realize until I left again, just how terrible it is. Like it is just heinous. Uh, yeah and that's all there is to say about it but it's just dark <laughs> it's dark and gray for months on end <laughs> it is it's a unique struggle yeah i lived in bellingham washington for five years going to college there and i grew up on the dry side of the mountains in wenatchee which is like leavenworth area um much more desert-like climate and i thought i would get used to the rain i thought it just would take time and i'd have to adapt to it and it just got worse and harder to deal with the longer I was there. I I couldn't, I was so ready to leave by the time I graduated. Well, it's just so damp. Like even when it's, it's like definitely a lot colder in Salt Lake in the winter than it is in Vancouver, but you like put a jacket on and you're fine. But when you're in the damp climate, you're just like, your bones are cold and there's just nothing, <laughs> nothing you can do about it. <laughs> My bones are cold. Totally. And I think if you grow up in it, you get really good at just learning how to layer and appropriately and do whatever you need to do to just go out and do stuff anyway. Like people just go about their lives and they pretend the rain doesn't exist. And that was really hard for me. I was always kind of like waiting for the nice days to do stuff. And it just doesn't work that way. When you live in that climate, you just have to get a nice rain jacket and some muck boots and just go on adventures. Yeah, I think for the first few months I moved there, I was just like, oh, I'll just keep wearing my sneakers around (laughs) and just like run from building to building. (laughs) And then uh, I slowly just got more intense levels of rain boots (laughs) until they were like up to my quads. And then I didn't care what anybody thought and I was going to be warm and dry. (laughs) (laughs) Some waiters. Yeah, exactly. Walking around, waiting for the bus and the waiters. Nice. (laughs) Okay, this question's from Jordan, and I have no idea if this is going to land, but we're going to try it. Oh, no. Yeah. Jordan (laughs) just wanted me to ask, can you introduce me to KJ Appa? KJ is the actor from the drama series Riverdale. Yeah, so that's 
first of all, hilarious question. <laughs> okay, okay, good. <laughs> he, uh, they filmed that show in Vancouver. Uh, he came into the gym one time. He just started talking to me because I was, I, I sometimes forget that when like people who are good at climbing are so good, like it, the level between like, it's my first time climbing and it's my job is so different that it's like shocking to people when they see me oh, climbing sure. in the gym. Yeah, yeah. So he's just started talking to me and super nice guy, super <laughs> annoying. You know, he's like an actor and he was also really good at climbing. It was like his second time and he was... <laughs> pretty good at it it was annoying i was like you can't be all these things at once it's irritating yeah but anyway um so i was setting him some dinos because he was super psyched on dinos because it's exciting um and he actually put me on his instagram story so people <laughs> really think we're best friends nice um, nice nice yeah we are not okay. i ran into him in the gym one time he's a really nice guy annoyingly good at rock climbing for never doing it um but Unfortunately, Jordan, that is fake news. We are not friends and I cannot introduce you to him. I'm so sorry. If I could, I would, but I can't. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just curious now I have to ask, do you have like a celebrity crush either now or one that you had growing up? Did you have posters of anybody or? That is a good question. Posters. I really liked the Jonas Brothers when I was growing up. Oh, okay. The little, the little boy band. Honestly, my favorite actor growing up there was Robin Williams. Nice. That's great. And Because uh, I love Jumanji. My parents used to measure the length of road trips in Jumanji's. Like, I'd be like, how much longer? And they'd be like, well, three and a half Jumanji's. And then that's how I would know, you know, how long before we leave? Well, about half a Jumanji and then we got to go. Okay. Like I, I thought you meant because you were just watching it on repeat in the back of the car. No, no. I just couldn't conceptualize time <laughs> other than the length of Jumanji. <laughs> <laughs> so so i really liked him and robin williams was friends with this owner of a bike shop in canmore so he would come to canmore occasionally and i ran into him on the street one time he was wearing full camo i think i was probably 10 and i ran across the street and i just yelled hi and he said hi and then i ran away and that was the whole interaction <laughs> but it was the greatest day ever <laughs> If it happened these days, maybe you would have ended up in his Instagram story. Who knows? Yeah, it might have been the same experience. Who knows? <laughs> but anyway, he was absolutely brilliant. So I, I don't know if that's a celebrity crush necessarily. That might be a little creepy. But, um, <laughs> but I did love him and I loved Jumanji. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get into some some deeper, chewier questions here. Um, and I, it's, it's funny. I had sent you these to think about, and then there was this whole email mix up and you didn't, you haven't had time to think about them. So I'll just try some and we can do them or pass. And that's totally fine. Okay. I would love to know what is one of the best decisions you've ever made? Man, I would have to say moving here. Fuck yeah. Just, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I, it was definitely something I was really nervous about. Um, I think partially because of the pandemic and partially just because, I haven't lived back in the U S since I was seven or so. I think I was also kind of kidding myself. Like I was like, Oh, I'll just go for a few months. Uh, and then I'll go back to Canada. And now it's been almost a year. So, um, <laughs> but I, I definitely, I, yeah, I have absolutely zero regrets about moving here. I think it was the best thing I could have done for 
my life and for my climbing too. So. Mm. Very cool to hear that. Yeah. Okay. When you're getting shut down by a boulder in a competition, what do you do? You know, earlier we talked about the downward spiral and that's something you've been working on. What do you do when that's happening? And what do you say to yourself? Um, yeah, I mean, I think in a competition, it's really been important for me to remind myself that, especially if it's an early boulder, like if it's the first boulder or the second boulder, um, that it doesn't matter and that it's not over yet. Like competitions have been won on the last boulder before, like you can get around where nobody tops anything until the last boulder. Um, so I think it's always been important for me to convince myself that it's not over until it's over. And I think that's been one of the best tools I've been able to use is to be like, okay, well, I didn't do that one, but I, at least I can do the next ones. And then if I don't do that one, then it's like, all right, well, that was sucked. And I think another thing is also acknowledging that it sucks. Like mm. if you fall off the finish hold, like, I think you can let that emotion in. You don't have to try to, at least that's where I was always struggling was trying to block that emotion out was to be like sad about it and be like, no, don't be sad. Like you're not, you're don't be bummed about that. But I think it's also been important for me to acknowledge that that like that sucked, like that was a bummer, but I can't let that impede what I'm going to do on the next bowler. Um, so I think the biggest battle has been, the biggest battle has been allowing myself to, to reset before every boulder. Like, okay, that sucked. That's okay. That, that sucked. But now we're going to work on this one. Mm. Um, and then I think I can get really down about it and sad about it in retrospect when the whole round is over. But I think when you're right in the middle of a round, definitely resetting and treating each boulder as its own entity has been important. That's great. Is there any advice that you would have for a youth competitor who is up and coming and driven and determined to get better? Maybe anything you wish you had known at a younger age? I mean, it definitely sounds cheesy, but I honestly think having fun is just like the biggest thing. Cause if you don't enjoy it anymore, then it's going to be a long career. Like, I, I mean, and I think right now, especially for the women, like they're hitting their peak of being a, a good competition climber in their twenties. Um, so if you're a youth competitor and you lose the fun and the passion in climbing, it's going to be a long road. Mm. <laughs> uh, so I think I, I definitely, I, I, I took it too seriously. I think too soon. Mm. Um, so it's been a process of me relearning to, to have fun and to not, not take it too seriously all the time. So this might, you, you might've just answered that in a way, but is there any advice that those people could ignore, um, stuff in the media these days or mainstream? It's a good question. I think I have learned that more doesn't always mean better. Um, that's not to say that you can't train a lot because I think you can, but you know, it can, can also be less volume at a better intensity can, can be better. You don't always have to do more. Hmm. What do you think is standing between you and the 2024 Olympics? Hmm. Is that a question you've asked yourself? I, it's my own, my own brain for sure. That's what's standing between uh me in the 2024 Olympics, I think is getting to a place where I can, where I believe that I can do it. Um, 
for sure is, is what's standing in my way. And I think that's a lot harder than just me convincing myself that and saying it, like, I think I would have to get to a place where I genuinely believe that I could do it, which I am not at yet. So we'll see. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That it reminds me of like the, you know, the letting go thing. Like when you have an outdoor climb, this comes up so often on the show where it's that moment where someone lets go and they don't need to do it anymore, that they're free of that expectation and burden, then they, they do it. And Mm -hmm. it's one of those things that you cannot force. You cannot trick yourself. You can try to trick yourself into being there, but like until it happens, it's just not happening. And it's, it's, it's like this mysterious thing that's really hard to unlock. And, um, totally. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And then finally, just one more question. What is something that you've been feeling especially grateful for lately? Hmm. It's a good question. I think it's for sure just the community of people that I have around me that are supportive of me and and um and who I am as a person like really makes me feel like they are supportive of of me and and who I am outside of outside of climbing and outside of what I do at in, in within climbing. So definitely the, the community of people I have here in Salt Lake is, is really great. Thanks Allison. Yeah. Yeah. Really good talking with you today. This has been super interesting for me um, as someone who hasn't had many of these conversations behind the scenes with a competition climber like yourself. And uh, thanks for just being so open and honest about, where your head's at and, and processing all this stuff. It, I think it's a real, you know, I, I expect that not that many people listening to this are competitive athletes in the same way that you are. But I think all the stuff you're talking about today is so relatable and it's a real gift to share how you're thinking about that and what you're struggling with with people. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a good, a really good interview. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. What happens yeah. from here? Are, do you have another competition on the schedule right now? Or are you just back in the grind? Yeah. Um, I think I, I got to figure out how my, hopefully my finger heals quicker than I expect. And then I'll mm. be in uh, Innsbruck competing at the end of June. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, I know you're a Canadian, but I will be rooting for you anyway. Great. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. Like we do it.